to you by the Game Reviews and the Unified Gamers Network. You're listening to Big Red Potion, the podcast that affects mass. I'm your intransigent host, Sinan Kuba, and as always, I'm joined by the man who puts the bio into Bioshock, Joe Delia. Joe, how's it going? Feeling good, man. Feeling good. It's been a long time since you and I recorded a show together, so I'm it's actually like kind a of month excited. Now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to the people at home, it's only been what two weeks since the last show went up, but we recorded that one like the last week in December. So it's been solid months since I've talked to my my very British friend. I kind of forgotten how you sounded. I had to reintroduce myself at the stop of this call, which was kind of a problem. But yeah. we're here now. We're all ready to go, and we have with us a lovely guest. Yes, I better introduce him. Um, in, in, in this episode, we're going to be talking about accessibility in video games for disabled gamers, and I don't think we could have found anyone better to talk about it with us. We are delighted to be joined by the editor-in-chief of Able Gamers and founder of the Able Gamers Foundation, Mr. Mark Barlett. Hi. Hello, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, how's no this, uh, this rather wintry Sunday jo- treating you? Uh, it's pretty cold outside, but we're going to get a warm front here in the D.C. area. It's going to be a nice 54 degrees tomorrow. I think that's like 197 Celsius. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, that's a, yeah, 54 is a number we're not familiar with in Britain when it comes to temperature. So um, Nice. Yeah, jealous. Right, uh, on to the show. Um, if uh, I don't know if our listeners are going to be aware of Able Gamers, so I thought we'd uh, start by talking about yourself, Mark, and, and the site and your inspirations for making it, if that's okay. Okay, sure. Fantastic. Um, I think the best place to start is um, talking about your your friend, Stephanie Walker, and um, what happened to her in the, the end of the 90s. Well, um, so the story goes something like this. Uh, Stephanie is my best friend in the world. We've probably known each other since we were like 10 years old, um, maybe 11. I'm not really sure. And uh, she and I grew up together. We went to high school together, middle school together, and I joined the military. And interestingly enough, I met somebody in the military who I really got along with by the name of Albert. And um, he became my dorm mate while I was stationed at um, McDill Air Force Base. This is where I'm home, and that's actually where I'm from is Tampa. Um, one day I wanted him to get out of the room because he never left the room. So I called Stephanie and said, hey, Stephanie, can you please get Albert out of the room? Her comment was, I don't like Albert. He's a dork. And now they've been married like 14 years. So (laughs) my best friend in the world and my best friend that I ever met in the military are husband and wife. So because she's now a military uh, wife, she's been traveling around the world, um, And what was great is she was a gamer, and we always used games um, to kind of stay connected. She was my sugar mama when uh, EverQuest was all the rage. (laughs) You know, I would be sitting in the common lands going, come on, please, can I have some plat? And she would be some, like, she was some super high elf, and she would have, like, a quadrillion plat, (laughs) and she would hand it to us and tell us to go away. Um, And so gaming was a way for us to stay connected when thousands of miles or a billion kilometers in UK um, separated us. And uh, one day, EQ2 was out, and uh, we, we, we were, we were going to get together on our standard Saturday night, and uh, she didn't get log on, and I gave her a call, and Albert answered the phone and said, um, I'm not really sure we're going to be playing tonight. I said, why, what's up? About... Six months prior to that, Stephanie was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And um, so there was some issues that were going along with the multiple sclerosis that 
aren't necessarily, you know, grand. And Albert handed her the phone, and she was crying, and she said, I can't feel my my fingers, Mark. I'm not going to play. And I said, well, what do you mean you can't feel your fingers? She goes, I just, I can't use the mouse. There's no sensation in my fingers. I can't play tonight. And this is, you know, early to, this is, you know, 2001, 2002. And I said, no, the internet solved everything. I remember the, seeing the press release on that. So I brought the Google up and I started doing some, some searching for, for, you know, different ways to, to use, use a keyboard and things like that. And I really came up empty handed. I mean, Game accessibility and the concept of game accessibility was just nowhere to be found um, back in the early go-go ni- 2000s. And um, so I was a web guy, and so we started it. We just said, well, here's an opportunity. Um, you know, I'm disabled myself, so it's not like I you know, don't have a, a, a dog in the fight. And, you know, my best friend is disabled. So we started, we started Able Gamers. Um, All right, so that's a very interesting story, Mark. Where, um, at the time, before you guys started the site, did you look around for any other... Was there even anything like your site available for people of of similar situation, or literally was the internet completely devoid of this type of attention towards the, you know, people who have uh, disabilities? Well, there was one site um, that I remember... Um, a site called dgamer, d-gamer.com, mm-hmm. um, run by an incredibly um, great guy named by the name of Corey Crawl, who had muscular dystrophy. Um, unfortunately, the site wasn't that great. Um, the guy really was struggling to get the site together, and then soon after it, his web host went up and out of business, so he was trying to start the game from scratch, and it never actually took off mm-hmm. again. Um, we're very fortunate that he actually came and worked for us for a while. And then, unfortunately, he passed away in December. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, kind of depressing. Very sorry yeah. to hear that. That's... absolutely. So, now, do you find the site, uh, obviously, it, it's very helpful to a lot of people, but do you find that it's a great output for you as a person who has dealt with this kind of thing in the past um, to, to get these thoughts out there, to help other people with, you know, things that you've learned and the things that you've found out and to kind of get the message out there um, that, you know, people with disabilities, uh, you know, they, they have certain uh, needs or they, they need certain things from gaming and, and how what uh, gaming can offer a person like that. Um, do you find the site is a great way for you to kind of express how you've been feeling, uh, especially with all the personal um, relationships you've had in the past that it's affected? Well, I, the site is five, year old, five years old, so mm. fortunately for me, I've expressed the crap out of myself. And <laughs> um, probably about two years ago, I, I stopped being a, a primary on the site, and, and a, I met just an, an incredible person by the name of Steve Spawn who um, kind of contacted me one night and said, hey, I want to write for the site. And mm. I said, sure, no worries. And now he's, he's pretty much the day-to-day content um, manager for the site. I, you know, I, I chime in every once in a while or I'll do some fill-in, but as the foundation has grown and as the nonprofit wing, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit, has grown, you know, I haven't had time to just kind of write stories. So Steve and his team, um, Bo Turkey, Tara, Steve, Kit, 
there's a bunch of different writers he wrangles up who, who, who are the ones that actually create most of the content. I'm just the person who does the site, posts the stories, makes it run sometimes. Right. And, uh, and mainly I'm focusing now on the nonprofit side. That's great. So you want to talk to us a little bit about that? Well, so uh, earlier this year we made the decision that the site was um, had grown to the point where we needed an organization behind it. Um, I had gone to GDC for two years prior to that. Um, Games for Health, various other um, outlets and things like that, and it just became clear to us that there was a need for us to start something that was more of a formal organization to help push accessibility forward. So um, we, you know, did all the paperwork and and put everything in, and the IRS was uh, nice enough to give us uh, a nonprofit status back in June. Um, so that's how that's how we created the Able Gamers Foundation, um, with the mission of you know of moving accessibility forward, and you know, and and expressing to the content producers how important accessibility is. So, what kind of uh, content is on the site for uh, for our listeners who haven't had the chance yet to visit that? Well, we do. I mean, I think the first thing that's it's really important to know is that we're we're gamers. Number one, we are gamers with disabilities, not disabled gamers. We're looking for ways to have fun and play games, the same games everyone else is playing. So, what you'll find is people talking about games. I think I could go there now if uh, you know one of our stories that's just talked about is you know. We're wrapped up in the same uh, rumors that the uh, iPod or the uh, Apple tablet is is about to uh, strike us all and make it amazingly wonderful. So you know we talk about so we're talking about how how uh, tablet gaming is is a nightmare for the motor impaired gamer. Um, we we talk about um, things like you know we just we just did a preview of of Star Trek Online from an accessibility standpoint. You know, you're not going to find that anywhere else, but there are, you know, 50-something million Americans who who might care about that. Um, you know, just to put it in perspective, the entire subscriber base of World of Warcraft, five times over, is disabled in the in United States alone. It's an incredible figure, isn't it? And, well, yeah. that's a figure that gamers can truly understand. Mm. Every single person that plays... Wow, times five in the U.S. It's a lot of MMO players. <laughs> well, it's a lot of wasted hours and wow. Hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, one of the the things I, I noticed, which I thought was really interesting, is how you approach reviews of games. Um, I, I uh, read through um, Corey's Batman review actually, and mm-hmm. uh, it was it's really interesting for me because. We've we talked about the game before on our podcast, and uh, we're both absolutely in love with it, and and mm. so was uh, Corey, except for how uh, inaccessible it was to him uh, right. because of his, um, uh, I think, his motor problems. Correct. Um, and you know, it I, I may sound a, a bit ignorant of me, but it's, it's just something that generally doesn't occur to me when I play video games. It, um, it doesn't have to. It's it's. There's nothing wrong with it not occurring to you, right? Um, you know, uh, colorblind people notice games that aren't very colorblind friendly. I don't. Sure. Right. Um, 
you you did mention that uh, you know Able Gamers is going to be you know one of the, the few places on the internet where you're going to find games looked at in terms of an accessibility standpoint. Um, one of our friends at, uh, at Game Critics, Brad Galloway, his his site does uh, they they mention what features are in the game for you know people who are deaf and have uh, or have a harder hearing. But in general, like it, it's not something that typically ever features on another site. Uh, on, a, on a review site, on a coverage site, or whatever, um, and you know, it, I, I you know I do agree with you. I think it is it is okay for it, you know not to. We can't think of everything of everyone when we when we uh, play our games. But do you think maybe that games critics uh, approach the way they talk about games with people uh, with people with disabilities in mind enough, or is this something that um, should be a bigger part of mainstream sites? It should be the bigger part of mainstream sites, but let me be honest with you, they're not they're not gonna do it. And that's fine. We're doing it. You know, we'll we'll go ahead and do it. Should it be? Absolutely it should be. Um it's an important it's an important topic, it's an important um demographic. I mean you know, when you look at nine percent of the US population is disabled think of what 9% of how much money video games make is being left on the table for not being accessible. Mm. And that there are there are some figures, I mean, there was, um, I think it's the Information Solutions Group who suggested that that figure might be greater because more disabled uh, players, are, oh, sorry, disabled people are more likely to, to play video games, maybe. Well, PopCap, the, uh, the maker, the casual game maker, actually did a, uh, a, a study with their own user base and found 20% Wow. of their user base identified themselves as disabled. And that 20% were more loyal and stayed playing a game longer. Because, I mean, honestly, there's a lot of disabled people that have a lot of time on their hands, unfortunately. Right. All right, so, Mark, moving away a bit from from the critics' perspective, do you think the industry at large is doing enough for disabled gamers? Or do you think that... By and large, they're kind of the the group that's left behind. Um, you know, when when they the industry says they want to make everything accessible to people. Um, I think they're the group that's left behind. But you know, there's a caveat to that. I I work in the software industry myself. I don't build games, thank God. Um, but there's a there's a time schedule and there's a budget and everything like that. So things slip. I think what's in, what's what's unfortunate is that accessibility is allowed to slip. Right. Um, so it's not that I don't think that they care. I've never heard... Well, there's only one company that doesn't care, and that uh, seems to be Infinity Ward. But um, hmm. the uh, every other company, when we approach them, is like they're interested, they're genuinely interested, they're curious about what we're talking about. They you know, want to know what they can do to make their game as accessible as possible. But I also think they're a little scared. Um they're scared because of of for instance i'm sure you have heard of and maybe even talked about the blind gamer that's suing um sony online entertainment you know and i think sometimes they're afraid because there's a group of people out there that want something called universal accessibility Hmm. um my american friend probably doesn't know nearly as much about the concept of universal accessibility as my british friend because it's a very big thing over in the European side of the water. And universal accessibility is that everything is accessible to everyone. And that's that's a utopian society that I think is really great to th- think about. 
but it's completely unlikely to happen in many, many areas of our lives. For example, I am not really keen on blind people driving, <laughs> but the concept of universal accessibility where everyone can do everything mm-hmm. would mean, well, well, why can't a blind person drive? Well, sure. they could, but do I really want them to? No. <laughs> and that said, I think that you know there are things that a game company is going to have a hard time overcoming when you're looking at the disability world. That said, there is nothing stopping them right now to get 85% of it done. Right. Well, it was funny. Me and Sanam were actually talking the other day about, you know, about this type of thing. And the one thing that we came to realize was that, you know, despite Microsoft and Nintendo and Sony, uh, you know, implementing all these features into the dash of their systems, implementing... You know, uh, mandating that every game has achievements, mandating that, you know, every game can support custom soundtracks, that every game has cross-game chat, that type of thing. You never really hear about any type of concerted effort to make sure that every game has subtitles or that every game has, um, you know, accessibility options in a certain way. Remappable keys. Sure, right. Um, And I think that, um, you know, I really hadn't thought about it before the other day when the the two of us were talking, but it kind of struck me as incredibly odd that that's the one thing that's kind of been overlooked, whereas, you know, achievements have not. Um, And I think that's very strange. It's an odd prioritization, isn't it? Right. Um, To to get back to the idea of um, universal accessibility, I mean, you must have a a diversity of uh, disabilities from, you know, within the community on your site. We absolutely do. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I think I, I remember reading that you in an interview you gave with um, Borderhouse that that can sometimes actually work against you in terms of getting a message out there. There's, there's uh, a lot of people to think about. There is a lot of people to think about. And sometimes um, when we have an opportunity to, to speak to people, you know, it can be a bit overwhelming. I mean, when you look at the gamut of disabilities... They run anywhere from, you know, colorblind to quadriplegic, you know, from MS, you know, multiple sclerosis can manifest itself in about 5,000 different ways. There are 14 or so muscular dystrophies. A lot are uncategorized muscular dystrophies. I mean, so when you kind of, when you kind of look at a developer and say, I'm here to talk to you about gaming and accessibility and disabled gamers, their heads kind of just explode. <laughs> because they're like, well, you know, I don't I don't even know about this disease. How can I fix it? And what we try to do is let them know that it's not about trying to target a disease. It's about using some good practices when you develop your video game so that the disabled person can employ technology to play the game. Right. We can fix it ourselves if you give us the tools. Right. If you give me remappable keys, if you give me closed captioning, if you make it mouse only playable or keyboard only playable, um, we can. We'll find ways once you give us those tools to employ our own pieces of technology. We'll, we'll certainly get into you know the various ways developers can. Uh, can make games more accessible. I just want to get back to the idea of, of going to the developers because that's something actually you've, uh, your site's done a lot this year uh, in person. Mm. Um, you went to uh, to GDC this year and made this uh, fantastic video. Which um, could you tell us about that? Well, what we did was we 
we uh, went to GDC and we set up our really crappy camcorder and our really crappy uh, microphone. <laughs> I bought it at I bought it at Best Buy for four dollars. It doesn't and, uh, <laughs> and uh, we we jumped on a plane and we went to. Uh, I was a speaker at GDC last year, so I got some. You know, I was a free had a free pass, but I was also had a press pass. So what we did was we basically set up our camera and coaxed people to come over and stand in front of our camera and we asked them the one question interview. And the one question interview was, have you ever thought about how disabled people play games? And then we kind of montaged it into a, uh, to a tight little uh, two and a half minute video um, for GDC. And it was, it was a pretty fascinating for us to see how many people had said yes and how many people had said no. And if mm. you're an insider in the gaming industry, you'll actually recognize a couple of people. I actually mm. got some very terse emails from people who were like, I can't believe so-and-so said no. <laughs> so, so some people apparently got in trouble with it. But, you know, that's, that was kind of the thing we did was to try to raise awareness by just simply asking that one question. And, and the fruits of that are, are right there on that video. There's, there's um, one guy in the video who was particularly rude and um, uh, told you no uncertain uh, words where where to go that that must be just completely depressing when that happens just it's you know from someone he was someone in the industry um well actually i think he was a student oh, really? um, okay. yeah i think he was a student but yeah as soon as we he was the only person right as soon as we mm-hmm. asked the question he kind of went um kind of f that i'm not i'm not answering that question and mm-hmm. walked off but you know of the 88 people that did our interview he was the only one which I mean, that, that that's pretty good, and it's just that it's a shame that that one guy was there. But you know, in, in general, it sounds like the industry wants to listen, at least. The industry wants to listen. I think really he was probably a player, and I think that if you were to go online um, <laughs> and look at some of the coverage that we have received and some of the comments, you'll find that there is a lot of unfortunate angst among the player base. Right, and that that is something again we I think it's important raising because there, you know, some of the the things uh, your, your people on your site would like to be included in games, some people would not like to be included in games. Um, which is, as stupid as that sounds, that, that's, that is a reality, I, I, isn't it? I disagree. I think some of the things that we want in gaming doesn't affect the game. Right. Because as I said in the very beginning of this um, illustrious podcast, <laughs> that um, we're gamers. And I don't know any gamer... And I know a lot of disabled people who are gamers who would say, I would rather the game not ship than to ship without this feature. There's a, the fact is, you know, we understand just like blind people can't drive that there are going to be certain games out there that we can't play. Example, Steve. Steve is having some challenges with Star Trek Online. It's not Star Trek Online's fault. It's just the mechanics of the game being a flight battle gamer in three-dimensional space and is a little bit difficult for him with his motor skills. Sure. You know, he's not, he's not advocating for that's it. You know, Star Trek online should be canceled. He's mm-hmm. just chalked up to the fact that that's probably not going to be his wow killer. We'll get back. We'll get back to that specific thing. When we talk about what, what, what things there are to put, to put in games. Um, but bef- before we do, um, you mentioned also that you, you went to the games for health conference this year. I expect that's a slightly sort of different audience and uh, there's a different kind of response there. Well, this will be our third year. We actually um, are the main 
organizers of Game Accessibility Day there. Okay. Um, so the Able Gamers Foundation, along with the organizers of Games for Health, um, put together Game Accessibility Day, which is a pre-conference event the day before the actual conference starts. And you're right, that is a completely different audience than GDC. Those are like a bunch okay. of like really smart like physical therapists, occupational therapists, teachers, instructors. I mean, there's more there's more education in that room than I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> I'm sometimes a little bit befuddled as to why they're listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've talked about some of the, the, the problems with the industry and, and ways in which the industry might not have you know, thought of everyone when they're trying to put their games together. I want to ask you, Mark, where do you think the responsibility lies as far as this? Do you think that the... the console makers and you know the the PC publishers are where the attention should be focused should these like should Microsoft and Sony should they be putting these things into their consoles from the beginning so that every game can kind of just support it and make things easier for everybody or is it more um, you mentioned Infinity Ward as being particularly bad at making their games compatible for everybody do you think that it should be more at the developers and publishers perspective of well they're putting this game out for millions of dollars and you know they're trying to make as much money as they can with it, yet they're not trying to include everyone in on this title that they're releasing. Well, I mean, just like you said earlier that Xbox and Microsoft require achievements for everything, ultimately, if we want it to happen, the publishers could make it happen. Infinity Ward, you know, Infinity Ward doesn't have a game unless, you know, they have a platform to play it on. Sure. Um, I think it lies in in the game maker's realm of responsibility to to at least make a stab at it you know i would love to see a a microsoft or a sony step in and say hey you know these are part of the checklist before we release a game but you know they're 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 pro you know i think it's interesting they're all they're all motivated by profit and the and the message that really needs to be be given out is that you're leaving money on the table by not looking at the disabled community that's the message that really needs to be gotten across. You know, don't make a game accessible because you feel bad for me. Eh. Make a game accessible because if you do, I'm going to spend money on it. Hmm. <laughs> right. And trust me, my money will cash in the same bank as everybody else's. <laughs> it's just when you, you know putting that figure twenty percent to say Modern Warfare Two, and how many more sales they could get out of that game. If well, they, they made a billion dollars. Right. They could make an additional hundred million. Yeah, that's crazy you know. money. <laughs> right. Well, Modern Warfare Two is is a little bit of a special case because you know Modern Warfare, the first round actually, I'm sure you've heard of like the Nomad patch and stuff like that. Yeah. And they actually took it out in Modern Warfare Two, and wow. the, you know, and basically paid lip service, from my understanding to the gamer in which it was named after who's interviewed on our site and kind of said and 55 people including Game Informer, IGN have reached out to Game Game Infinity Ward and said hey what the hell and they've pretty much ignored every request for comment or anything like that so you know I'm actually a little sad that it made a billion dollars because ultimately they can stand up and say who cares we made a billion dollars Mm. Mm-hmm. To to get back to to you know maybe the console uh, the platform holders 
uh, not maybe being as responsible they, as they could be. Because at, at, at the moment, con- you know, third-party controllers, this is probably the, 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 the most useful way of providing accessibility for uh, disabled people who want to play games. Uh, things like what Mark Felling is doing at Broadened Horizons and uh, that, that kind of thing. But he mentioned that even if you know Microsoft say were to, to give basic information on their on their console ports rather than charge half a million dollars reportedly to just talk with them about it hmm. um, I mean the question then sort of comes sort of why why isn't that happening? Why are the platform holders so abhorrent about talking with people about dis- you know uh, disability and, and, and accessibility for their consoles here's the thing. Mark Felden can make any controller he wants, and I have a lot of his his work. And he could make as many custom controllers as he wants as long as he's willing to pay the very steep entry price that Microsoft charges. Right. Right. And, you know, that's a fact for everyone. Now, a Logitech, they pay the price because, you know, they make peripherals and they make a billion of them. Um, Razor, the same way. Mark Mark is a one-man shop. Right, okay. He can't, he cannot, he cannot even fathom paying the entry price to be able to start making controllers or getting access to the controller SDK, basically. And then, but you look at a Logitech and say, well, why doesn't Logitech do it? And the Logitech doesn't do it because there's no market there. Logitech makes 50,000 keyboards. I'm looking at my G15 keyboard right now. I guarantee you the production run was 250,000 units. Well, there's probably not going to be a need for that in some of these very specialized controllers. Also, as we go back to to an earlier part of the conversation about, well, what does a disability look like? It's so different per person that a one-handed controller made for me might not work for my one-handed controller friend down the street. Right. And until we get that amorphous blob controller that's, you know, just like, a big lump of clay and a bunch of buttons that you can cram into it anywhere you want. Um, you know, everything is kind of a little bit specialized, and, and that's unfortunate. Now, there are ways to mitigate that. There's just, have you, I don't know if you saw the access controller that was um, from Ben Heck. Yeah. Hmm. One of our you know, um, writers on, on the site both Joe and I write for, actually, I think he talked about um, the access controller. It's, yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah, it's got little pods, and you can move the pods around so that, you know, you can get to the buttons that are important for whatever game that you're playing. Um, Evil Controllers, I don't know if you've heard of Evil Controllers before. Um, They're actually, you know, working with us to do a little prototype of a one-handed Xbox controller. Right. Mm -hmm. um, With some reprogrammable buttons so that you're able to actually, you know, move the buttons around based on, you know, what game you're playing. You can move important buttons to where you can get to them. So, you know, but all of those, all of those are doing the same thing. They're hacking into an existing controller so they, 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 because they can't afford the SDK. Right. See, it's, it's real strange because, like, in, especially Microsoft and Sony, they're kind of battling back and forth every single press conference with, oh, we have this feature, look, we could check this box, and, we, you know, we're better than Sony because we have this feature, we're better than Microsoft because we have this feature. Yet, I mean, I would think this would be a pretty big box to check. And as you said, you know, it's very specifi- uh, specified where, you know, certain people, a one-handed controller might not help them, but, okay, you know what? Even if it only helps 33% of the people out there, then it's still something. It's thirty-three percent more than they were in there before. 
Exactly. Like, I don't understand why, you know, I know it's a lot of work, and I understand that, uh, you know, because, maybe because not enough of the people who are actually handling the manufacturing of the consoles is, you know, are affected by this type of thing, that it might not be the primary thing on their mind. But even if it helps maybe 50,000 people by releasing this controller, you know, get, taking away the, the licensing fee for that controller for 50,000 people, that's still 50,000 people now that can buy your product. And well, not just it, by your product, but by all the supporting products around it. Right. I mean, by everything, um, mm-hmm. can get involved in the item that you are releasing, which is, you know, again, like, uh, can you talk a little bit about Modern Warfare Two and and your particular gripe with them? Well, my I don't I don't really have a particular gripe with them personally because sure. I don't play that game. Right. Um, I I vote with my money, and right. have chosen not to vote that way. Um, no, Modern Warfare, the original one, because there was a there was a there was a need by a gamer, um, Mr. Fitzgerald, who needed a specific feature, and he had a disability, and they included it in the standard game, mm-hmm. and so with this particular key press, he could do something. I don't recall exactly what it was, to be honest with you, because I am so bad at first-person shooters <laughs> that I just I ignore them, <laughs> I don't play them. You know, so, if, so you can so, basically play three games a year then? Pretty much. You're not missing <laughs> much, honestly. <laughs> well, you know. So, so and they apparently, the, as, as the story has, when Modern Warfare 2 came out, they told him specifically, because they did have the Nomad patch, he has contacts internally, that it was going to be included in the, in the second one. And when the game oh. released, it was not included, and they didn't really give an explanation. Sure. And so, you know, my gripe with them is here is a company that at one point showed a lot of forward thinking in the way of accessibility. And this is a feature this, that was added that hundreds and thousands of gamers are using who are not disabled. Apparently it was just very useful right. what he was mm-hmm. asking for. And to not include it in the second one and then to kind of go on this like anti-helper campaign on top of it is kind of, frankly, dicky. Mm. And it's dicky for no reason. We've reached out to them. Game Informer has reached out to them. I mean, there's big sites. People that have a lot of sway in the gaming industry has reached out for comment from them. And they've just told them to piss off. And you know what? They made a billion dollars, so I guess they can. Mm. <laughs> yeah. That's just very... It's incredibly distressing. Um, I just wanted to get back to something you were saying, Joe, just about, you know, uh, in the kind of the console wars between... Microsoft and Sony. I mean, Joe, do you think like there's there's some? I don't think it's a fantastic way of looking at it. But is that you know kind of political value if uh, if you sort of the, the politics of the console war for oh. for the platform holders to actually do something? Absolutely. I mean, the first person to announce that I mean, say Microsoft tomorrow announced that built into the dashboard itself will be all of these features. You know, like some type of uh, colorblind thing where it'll make all certain colors, you know, certain other colors, so people could pick which colors they can't see and it would you know it would automatically go into the game and fix that color um, shifting right color shifting i mean if if someone were to take that initiative and jump on it a that would mean that the other platform holders would immediately jump on that boat as well which would be wonderful because mm-hmm. they have to match parity you know with the other guys and b it would be something that you know we really haven't seen in the industry like a mass uh, concerted effort to get this type of thing going but as i said before i don't really think that enough people within the actual console makers and within their close-knit community are being affected by this. Because if, if, you know, if someone very high up in the Xbox team, if this was very, you know, uh, very something they had to deal with every day, they would probably get it done. But not enough people, 
I don't want to say not enough people are yelling at them to get this feature in, but I guess it's not high enough on their checklist for this to be a concerted effort to to build this into their consoles. That's why we haven't seen pretty much anything from them yet. And I, the other thing that I'm really worried about, and I really hope this isn't the reason for it, but there is a part of my mind that says it's perhaps that they're not doing this because maybe certain features, for example, if um, if a game could be remapped so that it's all playable on you know one side of a controller or something, that might break achievements. And that might make certain... Say, if, if I, a person who has use in both of my hands, were to play a game with these features activated, even though I don't have to have them activated, I would have something of an advantage. But if and, you were a hardcore gamer, you wouldn't do that anyway. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that, you know, it's, it's definitely something I want to do. Because we've heard that argument before. It's right. interesting that you say that. We've heard that before. Sure. And the fact is, if you ask a, a person who is, you know, a Street Fighter player or something like mm. that, and there's a way for them to always win... Okay, if right. you do, if you go set this setting, always win. Or, for instance, let's just say fail-safe mode on Rock Band. Sure. Okay. I'm not turning fail-safe on to play Rock right. Band. So just because it's there, and I know that there are people, elderly people, people with disabilities, children, right. who really need fail-safe mode so they can get through a song. But if I'm truly gaming and truly enjoying my rock band or whatever, just because that feature's there doesn't mean I'm going to turn it on. And I guarantee you that if you were to turn off the achievements, you know, an if-then statement, if this flag is set to yes, then achievements equals false. Mm -hmm. Okay? The average gamer, not going to do anything about it. They're going to keep playing the game like it is. But to the gamer that needs the flag... Trust me, they're going to much be much happier playing the game and not getting the achievement than not playing the game. Absolutely. Believe me, I totally agree with you. I'm just worried that somewhere in Sony and Microsoft's camp, someone is saying that. They're saying, well, if we turn this on, it breaks this other thing that we spent so much time propping up. It's an easy excuse. I'm sure it is. And I'm sure that has been mentioned at one or two meetings in the past. And that's what really troubles me is that they're they're could possibly be valuing one thing which or in the long run is seemingly unimportant as compared to you know the accessibility of as you said thousands and thousands and thousands of millions well, even of gamers i know you guys spend a lot of time just by listening to the the conversation in the um in the console world um frankly they're they're accessible nightmares um you know a lot of disabled gamers that i know um use the pc and you know what scares me is the death of pc gaming Mm. Um, because there's so many things. I mean, the USB port is the greatest thing in the world because there are a thousand freaking things you can plug into it. And, you know, 10,000 made every day. I mean, if, you, if you're good with a soldering iron and a, and, a free, and a free thing you can download on the Internet, you can make your own keyboard. Um, sure. And a lot of that technology and a lot of that flexibility is employed among the disabled gaming community. And what's actually... You know, scarier to me is that I was in Best Buy earlier today. I don't know what you call it over there in the UK, <laughs> computer game o land. Um, and the and the um, the PC gaming shelf was literally you couldn't fit a washer and dryer in the space that PC gaming was in, and that scares the living bejesus out of me because the PC is just such an amazingly good platform, right? And it sucks that Microsoft makes the Xbox because they're literally abandoning the PC for the Xbox. 
Sure. Did a, did a majority of uh, the people who visit your site, did they mostly play PC then? I only speak for the gamers that I know. I don't know everyone that sure. visits my site. Right, right, there right. are a large population of people who are looking to play consoles, and there are a lot of people who enjoy the console games. But we found the most successful um, accessibility um, features, the most, exce- the most successful um, broad-based accessibility happens in the PC world, hands down. I don't think it's going to be years and years and years, to be honest with you, before a non-PC game will win the Accessible Game of the Year. Which we'll get onto in a, in a, in a second. Um, I, I think it's, we should get away from you know Microsoft, Sony, and uh, Nintendo, because, like you said at the top of this, the whole, the whole thing, that it, it's probably most on the, on the shoulders of the development teams mm. to, um, to implement things which I think, you know, in general are not huge additions. Uh, they're huge well, to the people who, who need them, but they're not huge require, you know, in terms of effort on the right, development right. team's part. Before we move on, though, I think it's just no, interesting to note that I'm actually surprised at times that PlayStation has not come around and done this because accessibility, what they call um, barrier-free gaming, in Japan is a big deal. It's interesting is that in Japan, accessibility in gaming is much more progressive than here in the Western world. Unfortunately, it absolutely does not filter down into the PlayStation. I mean, I didn't have any idea that it, uh, of the, you know that, that difference in Japan. Is there so any reasoning, of, any any understanding why Sony haven't done that in that case? I don't know. I mean, my understanding is a lot of Japanese titles are much better in the way of accessibility, and they don't expect the same thing or don't um, require the same level of inclusion in titles here in the U.S. So I just, you know, to side note, I find, I find that interesting. Um, and I find that if, if one console was going to do it first, I would suspect it would be the PlayStation because God knows they need help. <laughs> <laughs> it, would be a, it would be a good thing for them. Definitely. Xbox uh, is just kicking their ass. Uh, it's coming back. The Sony fanboy in me. Does Sony, love... Sony fanboy I... me gets a little bit? No, <laughs> I love. I love my PS3. It plays great, great Blu-ray movies. <laughs> <laughs> and Little Big Planet rocks. There are other games too. Um, <laughs> so that's no, a different debate for another any. show. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, like... the PS3 gaming section at Best Buy, by the way. About the same size now as the PC gaming section. Well, that's different in the UK. That is different yeah. in the UK. <laughs> you guys also drive on the wrong side of the road, too. <laughs> and you lost the American Revolution. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're steering wildly, of course. Um, so, yeah, like, like, uh, like you said at the top, you know, development teams, that they, they could be doing more, and it might not necessarily require all that much effort to implement some things which can make a huge difference to to um, disabled people. I mean, what, what, let's let's talk about Dragon Age because you you voted it um, on your site as the uh, accessible game of the year. What did it do that was so right that that made it so accessible to so many people? Well, it did almost everything right. But I say that, but I also say I don't think they meant to. I think it was hmm. lucky because um, when we've talked to them, they were like, "What?" Oh my god, really? Um, But that said, 
that game has multiple levels of closed captioning. You can go into this to the options set and say, I want to hear everything, ambient sounds. Um, you know, I want to hear the chicken cluck, and I want to hear, you know, the, the townspeople talk, you know, talking. Or I just want to hear the content that's being talked at to me. Or you can say, I don't want to have any closed captioning. So to the, to the deaf gamer, wow. Right. Um, when you go into a battle, you can pause a battle at any time and set up your next moves. That's great for the cognitively disabled gamer, the mobile gamer, the mobily impaired gamer, because they can actually hit pause and take their time, because maybe they're not that fast, and mm. set their battle up the way they want to, and then unpause it, watch it play itself out, hit pause again, and do it over again, and actually have a fighting, fighting chance. You know, because they don't need to be fast. You can pause that game every five, you know, every five frames if you needed to. Sure. Mm. You know, that's that's an amazing uh, plethora of accessibility, and just those two features. The game is completely playable by the mouse. The game is almost completely paid by the keyboard, because those are important. Because a lot of a lot of gamers. Um, with mobile in- impairments are mouse players. They only can use the mouse. Or some only can use the keyboard because they don't have a lot of fine motor control. Um, so, you know, a mouse becomes very frustrating. That game, you could play it either way. It was really up to you. You could you could mouse over the your selection in the, audi- in the audio or you could hit one, two, or three, or four. It really was up to you. Joe, you've, you've played a lot more than me, Dragon Age Origins. Um, this is what I was I was coming to, and I said that maybe some things, some features, might get a negative response from uh, from players who don't have disabilities. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I, I admit I may well be wrong on this. But I was wondering if anyone, if if in reviews you'd read, Joe, and or even in, in your own view, did anyone have a, a, a negative view about the ability to be able to pause and and stop the action and do all those things as some something that made the game too easy? Well, I think. You know, my approach particularly to Dragon Age was unique because I really hadn't played a uh, a Bioware game like that. You know, my first exposure to them was Mass Effect, which was, you know, you could pause that game to pick certain things, but for the most part it was run, shoot, run, shoot, run, shoot. Um, so for me, getting used to that style of game, the, the whole, you know, being able to pause the action, queue up your moves and stuff like that was very uh, new and different. Um, and I think that uh, I know several people who stopped playing Dragon Age after a couple hours... Um, because they said that they didn't like the type of action in the game, and I, I kind of see, you know, uh, how if you need 100% action at all times, and you need to actually be swinging the sword yourself, not queuing up a, a three-sword, you know, attack strike type thing, um, it wouldn't really be that interesting to you. But um, when I was playing it, I, you know, I honestly didn't think of the other side of it, with, you know, as far as, wow, for a person who really can't, you know, do direct action with their can't you know hit the X button three times in very quick succession to pull off a combo and stuff. How this type of gameplay would be so helpful to them, um, and to me it was just kind of an interesting change from what I was used to. But you know, as, as Mark was saying, I, for someone else, it's like it makes all the difference in the world. Well, they didn't do too bad. They won Game of the Year for like I don't know every place that ever gives Game of the Year. <laughs> it did so, do. It's a very successful game, and actually, sure. you know, in, to, in to, to back up your argument, Mark, I, I, I didn't pause the action and didn't even know about it, actually. So, um, <laughs> you know, like, I, and even if I did, I wouldn't, you know, like you said, 
I wouldn't choose to do it. So I've, it's just occurs to me that then I, I, I thought maybe there might be some features which, like Joe was saying earlier, sort of cause this kind of conflict of interest. I mean, but I don't. I mean, I guess I say I've I've been on a few you know rock band you know forums. Never have I heard someone bitch about. Oh my god, fail safe mode is so. But it's there. Well, I think an argument to look at is um, dits and from great our... when you're drunk. <laughs> oh, absolutely yes. Um, dits from the Gamer Scene podcast, who's one of our lovely Unified Gamers Network's friends. Um, he uh, his complaints about Forza Motorsport Three, where uh, he mentioned that he didn't like that game as much as many others did because in that game, at any point, you could stop time, rewind it, and fix yourself. And I think that's it's kind of a similar thing where you know some. Certain gamers who, as Mark was saying, like with the no-fail mode, certain gamers don't want that kind of thing in their game because it makes it too easy and you don't need skill to do it. Well, and, then um, don't do it that way. Because it's optional. Right. That's, the, that's that, the option. That, yeah. Exactly. And we always say when we talk to developers, you know, it's all about options. The more options you give, the more likely you are to be successful in a broad range of audiences. Right. No, it's definitely the right thing to do, but people are going to complain, which is basically the, the internet. But, uh, but yeah, people are going to complain about everything. I mean, sure. I could give away a million dollars to the person who you know guesses a number between one and three, and someone is going to bitch because they're scared of odd numbers, and two of the three numbers <laughs> were odd. Yeah, I mean, that that is, I think, a, a fair point, that there's always going to be someone out there who complains um hmm. apart from apart from bioware who made dragon age and you know you, like you said you are in contact with a lot of developers at, mm-hmm. uh, able gamers i mean who else really deserves credit in the industry in, you know in terms of development teams for being uh open for being thoughtful about uh, gamers with disabilities a blizzard should be called out um i know in patch 3.1 they added some color color blind features um, Sony Online Entertainment did the same thing in EQ2. They did it the second patch of the game ever, not the 400th. Um, so, you know, Sony should be called out for, for that. Um, EA should be called out for... EA Sports specifically should be called out because they're actually working with a an engineer by the name of Vtree Technologies LLC and are actually making an accessible version of a football game. Um, completely redesigning the game um, from the ground up to be specifically targeted towards the special needs community. I, I found that actually, yeah. There's a it's um, this accessible version of Madden called uh, My Football Game, and it's yep. Um, it, it's for PC, is that right? It's for PC exactly, and they're doing one for golf as well using the Tiger Woods engine, is my understanding. You know, so EA should really be called out for their work there, and you know, um, Mythic who is now BioWare, um, should be called out. They made the accessible game of the year last year, which was Warhammer Online. Very cool. And there's also Harmonix, right? They made some type of mod for uh, for Rock Band to make the drums more accessible? Um, well, I don't call them out only because that was a one-off. Hmm. Everything that I'm describing to you is stuff that's in the game that you can go pick up at the store. Right. Sure. Harmonix fix was was kind of a one-off feature. But I love Harmonix, don't get me wrong. They're, they're Able Gamer's biggest supporter. They're actually our biggest donor. Oh. Oh, wow. 
that's very cool as well. Um, and, and it's nice to know that you know with the developers you're mentioning, EA, Blizzard, uh, Bioware. These are big developing teams. You know, these are the big guys who. Um, and I mean, I guess you could one could argue they've got the money to do it, but uh, at the same time, like we just said with Modern Warfare Two, they've they could also have the money just to say no, we don't need to do it. Game and Scrooge cast, thegamerscene.com. Ninja Fat Vision, Gamer.uk, Big Red Vision. Welcome to the UGN. You don't need to go anywhere else, we have it all here. Buy your games through Frugal Gaming and save a significant amount of cash. Then get down to the communities, play online with friendly and respectful gamers, such as those at the Ninja Fat Pigeons. To find out more about your games, you can check out GamerDog and the Gamer Scene, where news and discussion will keep you well informed. And for those who like to dig deep, it's Big Red Potion, where you can get some serious and in-depth analysis of the games that you love. We mentioned earlier third-party controllers and, and uh, something that I, uh, I don't think... Well, I, I certainly didn't know anything about it until I read... Um, one of our colleagues at the Game Review, Stu Shearer, he wrote a piece on it, and he talked about um, Ben Hecht's access controller, which we mentioned earlier. Um, mm-hmm. could, you, could you tell us a bit about how, how it works? Because I think it's really interesting. Well, it's a, flat, it's a flat device that's got five pucks, is what I call them. And the pucks have uh, different parts of the controller on it, so one of the pucks has the four um, square X triangle smiley face on it, and then one of the pucks has the triggers on it, and one of the pucks has the joystick on it. And they're laid out in a configuration like you would lay your hand flat. And you can move the pucks to different locations so that you can get the buttons that are important to you in the order that are important to you based on the game. And it works with uh, PS3 and Xbox. I have an adapter for Xbox. Um, so... So it's it's a pretty it's a pretty cool little piece of equipment. Um, it kind of uh, Ben did a really good job, and he and he got permission to make it. But I will say that you know I've had a beer with Ben, and it's he had to kind of really play some some uh, some you know back and forths to get the okay to make the game, uh, make the controller. So. You know, it's a good controller. I have some, you know, there's some critics to it. I'm one of the critics of it. I think the hand spread is really big. Um, you have to be like six foot two to f- to be comfortable in it. Um, I wish the pucks were a little bit closer together so that um, younger people and women could have more ex- more success with the with the product. Um, but but you know, overall, it's I mean, it's an amazing piece of equipment that you know. Proves that there's a market out there if you if you in, if you create it. Absolutely. Well, do you know what the um, the price point is on it? It's a buck twenty nine, so I'm sure that's like fourteen thousand pounds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one, one Wait, you guys aren't on the euro yet because I no. think it's a hundred million euros. Uh, yeah, roughly. Um, I mean, I, I, I asked that because obviously, you know, buying buying these controllers, buying the controllers, say that the Mark Felling makes. Uh, 
specific. Uh, sorry, am I pronouncing his name wrong? Is it is it Felding? Mark Felling? Felling. One hundred twenty nine ninety five. I just looked at that. One hundred twenty nine ninety five. Okay. Um, so obviously, you know, Ben Ben Hicks access, access controller and uh, and Mark Felling's tailored controllers. They're gonna they cost a lot of money. Um, I'm not saying they're not affordable, but they still cost a lot of money. What I'm getting at is. Uh, Something which I, I, I read about that happened last year regards the uh, the American Disabilities Amendment Act, um, extending what what it constituted major life activities uh, to, to things being beyond work and mm-hmm. uh, including play. How how has that affected uh, kind of things like benefits and and uh, what basically any consideration from the government towards towards uh, Americans? regards being able to play video games has it been any great change god i hope not i really don't want the government advocating for accessibility in video games because my senator is robert bird who is i think 414 years old (laughs) Um, he's the oldest senator in the world and i really don't want him writing legislation on how to make games accessible since he probably wouldn't know a game if it ran him over (laughs) um So, you know, there's a test going on right now. You know, there's, again, this is one of those things where, you know, people are going to disagree with me. I, I don't think that the government should get into the accessibility realm. There are definitely going to be people that are going to say, Mark, you're crazy. They should. You know, we're going to have to agree to disagree. But um, I think that there, the the argument for accessibility really has already been made, and it's a marketing argument. Um, it's a it's a purely financial argument, and I think it's I think it's an argument that you know stands on its own. I don't I th- I think once you to me legislating I've always looked at legislating things like that as kind of an admission that no one wants to do it because you make them do it. Right. You know why why do you legislate it? Well, because people didn't want to do it. So you you make a law that kind of forces them to do it, and that's, you know, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there in my mind. I want to think that game developers want to do it. They just don't know about it yet. That that's, that seems kind of in you know the prevailing theme listening to you that it's 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 something that game developers could do and should be doing, and and they need to sort of understand that the reasons why they're not are not really valid at this stage, isn't it? I, um, I mean, is that is that fair? It's fair. Okay. Um, <laughs> just checking sure I'm getting the right message. <laughs> I have been listening. Um, well, let, let, we're gonna, I haven't been, so uh, that's good. Okay, one of, at least one of us has. When I was just talking pre-show with you, Mark, I talked about um, we talked about motion control and, and uh, my own, my girlfriend who has her own sort of disabilities. With uh, with her legs, and you know, obviously, it, that's we've talked about on the show before. Uh, things are changing so quickly now with uh, with Project Natal and uh, Sony's wands, and of course the Wii, the Wii uh, Motion Plus, and all, and whatever's going to happen with the Wii Two. Um, There's a Wii Two. There will be a Wii Two. Of course. <laughs> I thought the Wii was perfect as it was. You're the only person. <laughs> I didn't really. I don't really mean that. I mean, it's. It's. I don't even think it can play. I mean, it's really to me kind of like a Super Nintendo. <laughs> oh, I'd love to see Super Nintendo. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Rampart was a great game. I'm still looking for that somewhere on the line. On the, online. Yeah, 
Um, <laughs> you're gonna distract me again. And me we're gamers <laughs> first. We're not just game. We're not just about disabilities. We're oh, gamers, no. man. <laughs> I know, and that's what the problem is. is I could take advantage. I want to talk about you. games. <laughs> uh, where was I? Um, yeah. So. Motion control. Motion control. Obviously, you know, this is something you, uh, one of your colleagues wrote on the site, uh, Tim Donahue, about uh, the, the potential benefits of motion control for disabled gamers. But um, he also mentioned that there's a kind of a lack of consideration on, on the part of, or seemingly a lack of consideration on the parts of Sony and Microsoft and, and Nintendo who are developing all these things. Um, I guess I'm going to ask you the question that he asked in that article. Do you, do you see motion control as being uh, a great thing or a, or a really bad thing for games? Well, I mean... It's. I'm going to say the same thing I've said in this interview already. It depends on your uh, disability. Right. Sure. You know, for some for some gamers, it might be the the you know the you know end all be all of gaming. For others, not so much. Um, I think it's going to lean towards the not so much. For for most gamers with disabilities, I think that sure. you know it's going to lean towards that. But I think for some. Um, maybe some some gamers who, you know, specifically, uh, you know, I I'm thinking of you know the paraplegic gamers who, you know, maybe you know wheelchair bound but are fully you know upper body able, they're probably not going to have much of a problem. I mean, I I have you know a, a lower extremity disability myself, so you know, gaming most games unless they require me to kick something a hundred times, I'm pretty good at. So I think it's really just going to be dependent on, on it. You know, I think it's neat. I think the more we can get away from the controller is a good thing. Right. Because right. the controller has gotten so complicated that I know many able-bodied people who just look at it and go, uh, I don't know. Sure. I mean, even myself, I find the Xbox controller to be fairly intimidating, which is, I think, one of the reasons why I don't play first-person shooters that often, because, you know, it's just like sensory overload. Sure. Is it, do you think there's? A, I mean, I, I, we really don't know much about Natal or Sony's ones, but do you think there's going to be an issue regards games which can only be played via motion control? I think that's what they're going for, and that, that obviously I mean, would present a significant problem for for a, a certain proportion of of dis- disabled games. I, I, I believe it will. Hmm. I believe, it, but you know that said, but I also think it might empower a lot of you know disabled gamers. Depending on, like I said, depending on your disability. Sure. But, you know, I, I do think that, I think it's a trend that is going to skew negatively for, for, for the overall disabled gaming population. Right. Just like I think the tablet gaming uh, concept, while, you know, I love my iPhone. Don't get me wrong. I love it. Okay? Not that great a game, gaming if you're a gaming platform if, you're mobile, if you've got a mobile disability. Right. Right. Or you're a zombie. Did you know that it doesn't work if you're a zombie? I didn't know that. Yeah, because it uses the warmth of your hands and stuff like that to know you're touching it. (laughs) But you have none because you're a zombie. I resent being called a zombie. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't. I said zombie, not British. (laughs) It's an end's just sleepy. It's not zombieism. It's okay. (laughs) Um, Um, Oh, it's like what time is it there? It's one (laughs) twenty in the morning. Is that metric time? Uh, it's in um, it's in GMT Celsius. Celsius. Oh. You have to leave all you have to leave all my jokes in, okay? I, I will, <laughs> because to be honest with you, you know, this is kind of a depressing podcast. Not a lot of people are going to get to the end. 
I think it's 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 more. I, we hope it's more enlightening than depressing. But um. opening a window <laughs> that many people have not looked through, which I well, think is something. you know, I just want to say, I want to say something real quick that you then you just kind of touched on it. You know, a lot of your listeners might not think about this and go, you know, but you know, I didn't think about it the day I went to work, and you know, I became disabled. And right. I, I, I tell I tell people all the time, this might not be important to you. But you're only like one bad day away from caring. You're only one right. one dude running a stop sign, one dude running a red light. Uh, you know, your your DNA has a ticking time bomb in it, like my sister did. So uh, you know, I, I tell a lot of people who kind of give me a bunch of shit about eh, I don't really give a crap about disabled people. Hey, the statistics are one in three people over the age of sixty five are disabled. You got a thirty-three percent chance of being one of those people. Hmm. So you know, I say that to say that to your listeners out there who really don't think this is a topic that matters to them, you're going to thank me ten years from now. Like I said, the top show, and I'll openly admit it, it's something that I've just not thought about until really sure. reading about it, reading about your sites, and and uh, reading about uh, through through articles on our own site and uh, Terry Kirk's work over at Game Critics, you know, stuff like that. It's it's just something that didn't occur to me and. Uh, I, I I know you know talking to Joe, talking to other friends. I'm not the only person, and uh, it doesn't just extend to gaming. Obviously, it extends to a lot of things in life, which we we quite frankly take for granted. And I don't want to hmm. I don't want to be preachy about that, but I, I think that that is the reality of of it. And uh, I that's that you know that was why one of the reasons we really wanted to do this podcast was to, for from a personal note get a get an understanding of it, and hopefully, of our listeners you know provide a bit of enlightenment. And uh, I think. Mark, you've done a really good job of doing that, so thank you so much for joining us. Oh, no. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Mark, uh, like I said, thank you so much for joining us. Um, do you have any hugs or shout-outs that you'd like to, of co- to give? Of course I've got shout-outs. Um, you can uh, come visit our work at ablegamers.com able gamers with an s um if you feel like you want to donate to our cause because we are a 501c3 nonprofit public charity you can do that at ablegamers.org i hope you're seeing a, a theme there and if you happen to be a game developer or content producer and you're looking for more information about how to make your game accessible we have a place for you it's called gameaccessibility.org and that's where you'll find FAQs on different scenarios on how to make your game accessible. I'd like to give a shout-out to my Able Gamers team, which is Steve and Tara and Kit and Bo, and I'm sure I'm forgetting people. That's it. I'm done. Brilliant. Okay. Um, Joe, how about you? Any plugs or shout-outs before we go? Uh, no, I've, I've actually uh, been kind of busy lately, so I haven't had time to really write anything. But I will say BigRedPotion.com is a fantastic place. and I, I want to I've been there, you're right. It, it is a wonderful, wonderful stopping spot for everyone. Um, I just want to again thank Mark for, for coming on and uh, talking to us about all this stuff, because it's, you know, as we said before, it kind of gave us all a little bit of insight on something that um, is affecting a lot of people out there. And uh, I think that the way that you brought it over to us will make a lot of more people understand exactly what the problems are and, and how we can all try and help to fix it a bit. So thank you. Rock on. No worries. And um, what about you, Snap? What do you got? I've got nothing this week. Um, ex- no, nothing. Do you want to put any, do you want to place any bets before we go on what they're going to announce at, at Apple World on Wednesday? 
Oh. I really hope Verizon iPhone because that's what I've been yeah. waiting for for three years. I, I, I want to go one step further. I want to say it's the uh, it's a new console. That would be that would be wonderful. <laughs> wow, that's that's a that's a ballpark one. I think it's going to be this tablet PC. I think it's going to be like a billion dollars, and I don't know. We'll see. An iPhone four, iPhone uh, iPhone uh, four point operating system. Well, we can all hope, can't we? With lasers. <laughs> <laughs> and zombie mode for me person Ann yes we oh, know I'm British um, right on, on that note uh, we will join you all in two weeks time and uh, I think we're going to be talking about Sega is that right Jeff? yes sir and I am excited about that one okay, fantastic right see you then